city's been so quiet since the boys in green went back. But it only took them three months to put Porton on the map. Yes, the stadium's never heard the sound of cheers in all its years. When the players come on the field, the thousands singing in their ears. Green is the colour, soccer is the game. We're the Portland Timbers, and winning is our aim. So let's give all of the boys a cheer for the Portland Timbers will be here. Today's guest is a local product who had a very successful soccer career. I'll give a lot of his background in a moment, but I first want to welcome someone I'm proud to have played with, Joey Leonetti. Joey, how are you? Uh, very well, Billy. Thank you for inviting me on. And um, I'm excited to uh, cover all sorts of Portland soccer history with you. Well, I don't know anyone who has the kind of range and knowledge you do. So I feel pretty, uh, I'm excited about this too, because it's not just that you played it, but it's just, I mean, there's a there's a gap between yours and our knowledge too that you're going to fill in, I think. Yeah. Um, no, I, it's, it's what happens when you get old, Yeah, right. um, you know, you just hope that you can remember as much as possible. Yeah. And, um, what, what's really pleasing for me is that all my former teammates have to listen to me talk for at least an hour. And, you know, I'm hoping, they, hoping they can listen the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me do this very, uh, long bio you sent me. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. I, I wrote this because <laughs> no, um, again, uh, all my teammates are going. You got to be kidding me! He did send a bio. That is yeah. so him. <laughs> no, but no, I'm joking because you didn't, right? Like, I don't want them to think that's real. Everybody, though. I didn't. No, he didn't. Um, so Joey's a Portland native, having been born here in 1970. He attended Gladstone High School and was the Oregon High School Player of the Year in 1987. At the end of a high school career that saw him score 123 goals, and he played in the U18 national team pool with future University of Portland teammate Sam Singer. 1988, Joey attended the University of Portland, where he played for former Timbers, uh, legend Clive Charles and Bill Irwin. In his freshman year, Joey's 1988 pilots went to the Division I, sorry, NCAA Division I Final Four. And in his four years at UP, the pilots won three West Coast Conference championships, made four NCAA tournament appearances. Joey was a three-time West Coast Conference uh, first team and three-time All-Region selection as well as an All-American and Herman Trophy finalist in 1981. He's currently the fourth all-time scorer and the season and career assist record holder at the University of Portland. Joey played with the U.S. U23s in 1990, which included training camp matchups with the senior side and a tournament in Toulon, France, where they faced Cafu-led Brazil and a Yugoslavia side that featured Croatian legend Davor Sucre. Leonetti's amateur and professional career started in 1988 with FC Portland, a precursor to the late 80s Timbers. Joey played for the San Francisco Bay Blackhawks in 1992 and twice played in the CONCACAF Champions Cup, once with the Blackhawks and again with the Seattle Sounders. In 1992, he also earned two caps with the U.S. national team. Joey was picked by the LA Galaxy in the inaugural MLS draft in 1996. He eventually finished the season in Seattle, where the Sounders won the A-League championship after Leonetti's brace in the final earned them a 2-0 victory over Rochester Rhinos and earned him tournament MVP. Joey played more professional soccer in Portland, putting in an indoor career with the Pride and Portland Pythons. In 2001, Joey was inducted into the University of Portland Hall of Fame. None of this speaks to the many years he spent after the game coaching, passing his knowledge to the next generation of players. Welcome again, Joey Leonetti. Thanks, Billy. 
Appreciate it. It's yeah, a good it, list. It's it's a good, good list. list. It's not a complete list. It's not uh, a complete list. We'll cover that, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> and what's what's really cool is that we're going to talk about the San Francisco Bay Blackhawks, which, if yes. you want to talk about how soccer survived in this country, you have to talk about that team, and you have to talk about what was going on at that time. Absolutely, absolutely. It was the it was the life raft of soccer from. You know, that league from what the early 80s, 82, 83, in some form of FC Portland's Western Soccer Alliance, Western Soccer League, through to the early APSL, then A League, then what you call the USL now. Yeah. Held serve in a big way. Um, big time. So let's go back to the very beginning uh, youth soccer. And I'm just kind of curious what youth soccer was like for you. And you you said you born in Portland, lived in Milwaukee and Gladstone, Oregon. Uh so that would have been the late seven, mid to late seventies, early eighties. What was it like as a youth soccer player? Uh, pretty unorganized, I would say. You know, my mom uh, got involved early on when the Timbers started their first team in you know the seventies, nineteen seventy five. Uh, that brought the game really in a big way to the town. All of a sudden, all, all the neighborhoods and youth organizations you know tried to start soccer leagues soccer teams and um you know the first one that i played in was actually with my brother who was uh two grades older than me you know this is a a normal story for people my age you know if it was uh, a young girl they were playing on boys teams if it was uh uh boys like me and my brother it was you know we'd play together because that made it easier there weren't a lot of teams around and it was all city is all city league or city teams, city organizations, neighborhood organizations. And um, that infrastructure kind of stayed until the mid 80s. Uh, it was all, you know, youth soccer clubs associated with the town, i.e. Gresham Youth Soccer, Gladstone Youth Soccer, uh, Rockwood Youth Soccer. All these towns in the city had their own, you know, soccer teams and, you know, parent coaches um, it developed then into, uh, you know, OISA, you know, got started. Like, I think I'm the same age as Oregon Youth Soccer Association. If you go look at it, I think they might be 52 or 53 years old or something. It literally started at the same time. Um, but, but uh, you know, it, we moved from Milwaukee to Gladstone, just, um, you know, what people do, move out of the city into the burbs, right? Yeah. <laughs> And, um, you know, Gladstone was a nice, tight community. Everybody kind of knew each other. And I was fortunate enough that we had at my age group um, a coach that actually knew what he was doing and, uh, you know, organized us and taught us the right way to play um, as as far as defensively and and having good habits. Um, Now, it eventually was try to get Joey the ball so he could take six guys on sometimes, but that was how it had to happen. Everybody kind of knew their role. My role was to beat people and to score goals. And, um, you know, I I think there are terms of it called ball hog, but you know, (laughs) if one person can score goals, then that's how the team wins. And, uh, I, I had my first, you know, um, experience of success in 1982, might be the only time Gladstone Youth Soccer has ever won a state title, but we won a state title and went to regionals 
1982 in Las Vegas, which was incredible. I mean, come on. It's like Hoosiers. Yeah. So, and Joey, in that period, you also had a couple of um, interesting experiences related to the Timbers, one being a soccer camp, and then you were actually at Soccer Bowl 1975. That's right. Yeah, I kind of glossed over that. So my, my dad, who grew up in the old-timey, you know, baseball, basketball times of the 50s and 60s, um, you know, he was so excited when the Timbers came to town in, in those, in the mid seventies and actually has some success. He still brings up Peter with and Stuart Scullion and Clyde best. And like, those are, those are his frame of reference of, of great strikers or midfielders, you know, and somehow, some way that group of guys, that first year, they made the championship, you know, got the birth to soccer bowl to play the rowdies actually against Stuart Scullion that year. And Clyde best as well. Yeah, it's crazy, right? And and, um, my dad was like, screw it. We're going. Loaded us up in the car. And we drove Portland to San Jose for the Soccer Bowl in 1975 at Spartan Stadium, which will come full circle sometime later on in our interview. Yes. And, um, you know, I was able to experience that crowd, you know, packed house at that stadium at if no one's ever seen it on TV or whatever, it's what you'd call cozy. Yeah. Um, it's, Close it's to the field, the tight sidelines. Yeah, you know, they mm. it's sunken. So the stands sit maybe four to five feet higher all the way around the stadium. Uh, the walls were like, I don't know, two paces off the sideline. Um, had, uh, you know, columns all the way around it. It's a pretty cool little stadium. 25, maybe 30,000 people. Um, and so, you know, like there, I mean, come on, you, you experience that as a little kid. It's like, I want to do that. Right. Um, soon after you reference the soccer camp, I went to a soccer camp with Tony Betts and Barry Powell. You know, my dad still brings up Coventry city because that's where Barry Powell signed from. And, uh, my mom got pictures with them, signed autographs and took, you know, a, from then on, you know, Barry Powell talked to my, my mom and was like, yeah, you know, he's, he's pretty good at this. You know, he's not afraid of the ball. You can dribble, you can run past people. You know, it's kind of a thing like any scout in, you know, all, all the good players at that age, at six or seven years old, if they have a knack for dribbling the ball and beating people, you're going to get noticed, you know, and it's a similar story with all, all the guys I grew up with when they were little. You know, they they stood out for something for some reason. And, um, you know, it it played out that way. You know, it's interesting with uh, the younger, with the Timbers, the the first, the early versions and how, like you said, there there was nothing here. It was like, you know, there was nothing. And they come in and now you have a network. You have a network of people who, first of all, know what they're talking about. And then as things grow, you've got a network of people that could, you know, reach out and they're going out to other places and saying, this person can play, this person can play. There's a chance to really organically, you know, build a, a, a playing culture. Yeah. And Clive talked about it and um, way back in the day. And I know, I know you've talked to the folks, all these old older Timbers now that they were the salesmen. They were out there meeting people, their practices. I'm pretty sure were open. You could go watch them train at Catlin Gable Um and, uh, you know, if you can find that school through the forest, 
Um, but, uh, you know, you, you could watch them play. They, they uh, you know, made acquaintances with the businesses around town. They got to know people. And uh, they were really community driven because they were talking to people that were basically like bringing fire to the caveman. They, there was no soccer here. There was no frame of reference. It was a new game. It, they, you know, people didn't know the rules and um, it was up to them to try to create this closeness to, to the people that would, you know, hopefully cheer them on, you know, and if they didn't do that, it doesn't happen in my opinion. Right. So back to your career a bit, how did you, I mean, 123 goals is insane in, in any level over any period of time, but that's what you scored in high school soccer. How, how was, how was it for you playing at Gladstone? Well, I mean, everybody loves playing for their school, you know, everybody uh, through the years and, you know, late, in the last you know 10 or 15 years, there's, you know, in some cities, high school soccer is not a thing. You know, the best players, they don't even play high school soccer. Um, I think for me, I always tell kids, just say, listen, you, nowadays you're going to go play academy. You know, great. That, that's that's your pathway. But for the other kids, it's like, listen, playing for your school is fun. Playing for your friends, with your friends. And, you know, I still remember a lot of those games. I still remember playing against, you know, my buddies, you know, that, that we played club soccer together, whatever, at the time. You know, when you played school to school, it was different. Um, you know, again, it was an extension uh, for me to basically my first two years there, freshman and sophomore year. I mean, 14 years old and I'm you know, I'm acting the way I act, <laughs> you know, that might turn 18 year olds off a little bit, whether you're playing with them or on your team. So I think it was humbling for me at that point to learn to be more of a, now all of my former high school teammates are laughing their ass off right now, by the way, but um, being able to, to be a part of, be a part of a team and, you know, of guys that basically work their tails off because that was the only way we were going to be successful. And then, you know, my role was to score, you know, my role was to, to be up front. Those guys rolled up their sleeves, won balls, passed the ball around, you know, my best friend and best man in my first wedding. Uh, he played at UPS university of Puget sound. He was a good player. And, um, you know, where his brother was played at occidental. He was a good player. And a lot of the other guys I played with were good athletes. They played basketball, but they played baseball. And, um, you weren't going to outwork the guys I played with. Um, and that helped us win a lot of games and put us in position to win a lot of games. My junior and senior year, you know, I, I was progressing because I started to get better coaching at that point. It was, you know, just get me the ball and let me go to work. You know, those last two years I scored 75 goals. That's insane. I mean, right? Like 75 goals over 28 games, 30 games. Uh, yeah, you know. Right. And what the fields weren't great either. So, no. That's difficult, Billy. I kind of maybe scored more. In high school, I couldn't be seen on the other side of the field. <laughs> right. You had no knees. No. <laughs> the dome so what, in the field. What is, uh, yeah. So, what's the difference? Like you said, you got some coaching. Uh, and you started to to learn some things about the position. What is the secret to scoring that many goals? Like what turned for you? I won't ask you about uh, defense. Well, <laughs> I, th I think, 
for me, it's like there's pros and cons to having the certain personality I had when I was younger. So I may be described as maybe brash, arrogant, um, aggressive, uh, and, and, you know, there's some cons to that a little bit attitude wise, you know, and like I said, that got sorted out with me when I got a little older because I got in with Clive. So that got measured out a little bit, maybe focused a little bit more, but, um, what's it's something basically he said to you? a, what's that? Is there anything he said to you during that time that sort of, that you can oh, repeat? Yeah. He just, that sinks he, in? I mean, he's just like, you can't, you can't do that. That, that takes away from the game. It's, you know, his, his famous words were amateur dramatics. It's just a bunch of garbage. You know, that, that if you're yelling at a ref or, you know, acting the fool, um, you know, it's just amateur dramatics. It, it doesn't, you know, when he's pointing at you from two inches away <laughs> and trying to sort you out, then you listen. Right. You know, and I, I, I got a lot of it over the years. It was much better in college, but you know, it's, I, I think he knew for me, it's like he saw something in me that he just needed to guide. I needed a little more guardrails to, to focus the hunger to um, be the best player out there. And for me, the best player was not only beating you, scoring, making sure you knew I just scored on you, and then letting you know I was going to do it again. And, um, you know, that got measured over time that, you know, Torres has maybe hopefully a little bit more at peace playing, but, um, you know, it, it's a fine line. It's a fine line of aggression. And, um, you know, I see kids that, uh, in, you know, that when they're, when they have a gift, there's a lot of times where sometimes whether it's in, in this might be a parent coach or whatever, they don't know how to properly coach talents. And, uh, for me, my, my mom and dad, but my dad, especially he praised me as much as like when I made good passes, you know, of like how good a pass was, that was, a, that was passes unbelievable. Um, you know, and maybe I scored three or four goals in a game, but like, he talked to me about like how good my passes were, you know, and you know, the moves I made or, you know, crosses I hit or, you know, threading needles or being a little bit showy, maybe a little bit, uh, on, on a pass, you know, you know, you know, maybe chipping it over three guys to a guy making a run or something like he praised me as much for that as, as, as goals. And I mean, that, that definitely helped me as a talented person, as far as being able to score <clears throat> basically when I wanted um, to, okay, you know, three or four is, is good. Now, now it's time to share it a little bit, you know, try to get this guy a goal, try to get that guy a goal. Um, you know, I think also, you start realizing there's stars out there that do the same thing. Like, you know, I think Wayne Gretzky has a record that he has more assists than people have points. I think all time in hockey right. or something, something ridiculous like that. Yeah. And, um, that, uh, you know, and, and with Clyde, when I got to 15 or 16 years old, you know, first, my first real, you know, professional coach was Jimmy Conway within the state development program. Uh, of being able to, you know, play with good players and then have him, you know, guide me into, you know, seeing the whole game, not just, you know, get the ball at 
50, 60 yards away and start taking four guys on. You know, in high school, that was a little bit more of <laughs> how things happened, you know. And uh, but, you know, with Clive, it was it was uh, more of a community feeling is more holistic approach. But if you're a striker, you got to put the ball away. So that was also part of it as well. You know, you, 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 you build as a team up because that's not going to last forever. You can't beat three guys forever. You're going to beat one guy. You know, that guy's going to be as fast as you when you're 16 or 17 years old. So you better figure out a plan B and plan B is working with everybody else and, you know, not taking away from the game, adding to the game. And, you know, that comes in training that comes, you know, in game situations. And sometimes you have to learn the hard way in game situations, which I definitely did of when to make a better decision. And um, then when you go back to high school, you know, the game's slower, you know, the, the things are happening at a slower pace. I like to, when I'm coaching kids or, or other players, it's just like, listen, the, the more you train, the more you play, uh, every time you level up, the game's faster to you. And when you go backwards, the game is slow motion. And I always equate it to the matrix. You know, when Keanu Reeves, like, starts seeing bullets go slow, it's like you can see things moving so much easier. And when you watch guys that make the game look easy, that's that's what's happening to them. They see the game moving at a much slower pace. They're not going slow. They're going 150 miles an hour. But for them... Guys are moving slower. The spaces look big. They can pass that ball in between people. And for me, that that was the difference in those last two years. The game slowed down in high school and, you know, regular club soccer because I was experiencing high-level play, everyday training in club soccer, and then coming back, it was just the game was a lot easier. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And so it sounds like, uh, and, you know, we know this, right? Soccer here happened because the Timbers – happened and that's just right and so uh you mentioned you know clive you mentioned jimmy and you you know proper coaching proper soccer everything sort of came there's a second thing i want to talk about that i would say is is maybe not the second most important thing that happened chronologically after the timbers uh coming here in the nasl but i would say it's 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 a very important moment in soccer history here you didn't play in it but you were there and I'm talking specifically about uh, October 22nd, 1987. Notre Dame comes to Portland to play the University of Portland in Civic Stadium. And Notre Dame at the time was a top 10 team, undefeated. University of Portland um, was not the University of Portland we know now because, like I said, it was 1987. Still really good players. Yeah. But that was a very, that's a very important game, I think, for soccer in this area. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the, the venue you know, being able to play it at the stadium where everybody remembered the Timbers playing, I think was, was huge. <clears throat> you know, at that time, uh, university of Portland didn't have a stadium and didn't have a stadium until my junior year. <laughs> mm -hmm. So there wasn't really a place to play them. That was a proper venue. So being able to play it at, at what was then civic stadium, um, was huge. And the crowd was keyed up. And being able to watch UP uh, take it to them, you know, score goals, take the lead. It was, you know, incredible. I, I know you and I have talked about uh, Gary Osterhage's header. Um, that was, you know, was the goal from that game that I remembered. 
and I think you you correct me. I think it ended up three one or something. Right, right. Um, and uh, who's it? Benedetti scored like, like in the first minute, and then uh, yeah. Joey Holloway added a third. Yeah, which was rare. I think Joey scored three goals his entire career. So, um, you know, that's how that was a huge, huge one for him. But, you know, I, I we've talked about it before. You know, Sammy Singer, who was a youth national team player at the time, was at that game. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure what Casey's decision would have been, you know, whether that game went either way. But uh, it, it basically legitimized the program. It, it, it basically uh you know backed up clive's notion that he was going to bring a national championship to that school which is insane you know the, the those things that that wasn't going to happen at up you know they we the school was playing you know it was in the west coast conference at the time however it was also still playing local teams it was playing division three teams it was playing division two teams naia teams on their regular schedule it wasn't like preseason friendlies. It was like regularly scheduled teams. There was nothing glamorous about it. No, no. I, I played at Evergreen State College right. you know, we, on a road trip. University of Portland against the Gooey <laughs> Ducks. Yeah. Right. You know, not everybody can say that. So um, uh, it, it basically mapped out and said, hey, we're going here. This is Notre Dame, one of the most, the, probably the most famous college in the country. Mm-hmm. We not only can play with them, we can beat them. This is where this is going. And without the professional team at that time, that was it. You know, I have stacks and stacks of newspaper coverage. And I know, you know, look at old time Joe talking about newspapers, but uh, the coverage of the soccer program was that of the Blazers. There was weekly articles, game day articles, day after game articles, feature stories on players. And it was a beat, if you will, that um, the University of Portland was covered. And then, you know, later on with with the women's program going, uh, you know, Clive taking that over kind of, you know, grew it exponentially from there. So I want to, yeah, I want to back up just a little bit and provide some context for people who may not know fully what we're talking about. But even uh, Dennis O'Meara started the University of Portland programs, and he was a Timbers PR guy. Um, And this is, you know, 70s brought in Jim Tercy, who's still the all-time men's leading scorer there. Uh, But at the time, you know, like you said, they didn't have a field. It was 1987, Notre Dame, undefeated, popular in football, big Big school to little school because you're talking about little Catholic schools as well. And they spend money. University of Portland spends money to bring Notre Dame in so that they can show yeah. they that's that's where they belong. And that was the mindset that built that. But you were a recruit. You were at that game. You mentioned Sam Singer. So here's what happens in 1988. And we'll talk about that season. But here's the University of Portland recruiting class for 1988. There's you, Sam Singer, national team player, Tony Elrod, John Ballou, a backup keeper by the name of Chris Bell. And the reason he's the backup keeper um, is because, we'll talk about it in a second, you get a transfer out of the British Columbia Institute of Technology in Ian McLean, and then you get another backup, key, or another keeper, freshman Casey Keller. Yeah, not bad. Um, right? You know, I was, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I was a throw-in, you know, that 
John and, and John was an FC Portland product too, John Ballou. Um, Tony Elrod was actually probably more of an established name. I had just uh, started to build my, you know, regional name a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, John and I were basically solid guys that Clive knew, knew well, knew how to train, knew how to compete and were, you know, had something that he knew he could work with how long it was going to take for us to be able to, to really establish ourselves within the program. You know, I am sure Clyde was like, I know what their baseline is. They're going to be good for the program, you know, as, as guys within the group. And, you know, Casey was already, you know, playing youth national team years ahead. Like he was 16 or 17 playing on the U19 team. So he was, you know, I, I don't even know what the comparison would be today, but he would be starting in an MLS team at 18 years old was how good he was. And uh, I think people kind of their ears had to have perked up when they saw that, you know, with, with us beating Notre Dame, UP beating Notre Dame the year before, then him going there. It's like, you know, Casey Keller was the marquee and then like we might be the little names underneath there a little bit. And Ian was, <laughs> I don't know, like off the back of a truck coming from British Columbia. But uh, he was, you know, that it was when you look at it retrospectively, amazing class. Yeah. You know, to go with the class that. Well, Robbie and, and uh, Peter, Robbie Bartz and Peter Field mm -hmm. and, um, you know, who came in the year before and Trent Schultz, uh, they, they, you know, Trent came in from a national championship club team, you know, no small feat, mm -hmm. you know, and that's back when everybody played club soccer. There was no academies. There were no, you know, oh, I'm playing MLS. I'm on the bench of the MLS team. No, everybody good played club soccer. And everybody good went to college. Trent played on the national championship team. The year before that, Clive brought in the group from Seattle, the Federal Way group. With the Untouchables. Garrett, yeah, Garrett Smith and Jimmy Weber. You know, Weber. Um, and he transferred Jason Rust. And, and um, yeah. you know, it, it's just those, all those guys from that Seattle. Robbie Sakamoto, also part, they won the national championship at a club called Goalpost. That was there was only two age groups, U19 and U16. So all those guys played on the U19 goalpost team that won the national championship. And I think Wade was on that team as well. Wade Weber was also on that team. I mean, sick team. So those three years was probably one of the greatest recruiting that the uh, a college has ever done. Right. And all of a sudden we get together in, in 88 and I'm coming in. Hi, Gladstone. You know, or Clive would make fun of me because I had to do everything at that school, even sell hot dogs at halftime. <laughs> um, you know, coming <laughs> coming in to this group where they already had established national champions from club soccer, youth national team players like Rob Sakamoto and Casey Keller, and grown-ups like Ian McLean and Scott Benedetti, who I'd known from FC Portland days of playing in, in 88 summer. Um Scott, oh, just by the way, the most nonchalant, greatest top 10 player in Oregon history and might right. be you know, one of the top three. 
he was there. Yeah. And so it was just an almost like when you look back at it now, 21 and 0 in a row, you know, maybe might be stretching it, but it kind of makes sense yeah. <laughs> when you look at it. So that's it, right? 1988, you start with, uh, starts playing San Francisco and UNLV, which at the time were, right, those are top tier teams you're playing, and those are your first two games out of the shoot. Yeah, this uh, San Francisco, multiple national championships in the 70s and early 80s. They were, um, you know, as far as being, you know, ahead of the game in soccer, again, great coach, legendary coach, their field's named after the guy. And uh, they're coming into town, WCC Power and UNLV, who also had um, a well-established program, had some Portland guys on it uh, and, uh, you know, played it right at, uh, you know, the old soccer field right by the parking lot, which is where the, you know, the practice field is now. And so we'll get to that field in a second. But uh, so <laughs> you, you mentioned 21 and 0, which is amazing, right? 21 straight wins. Yes. With everything. Which it's hard to do, no matter how good you may or may not be and who you're playing. Just by accident. <laughs> right. So Yeah, you can't go 21 and up. The quarterfinal game was probably the biggest hurdle to get to the final four, right? Because you're playing UCLA. Yeah, so we, we received the bye. And, well, I mean, is it okay if I back up a little bit? Please do. Um. So and you and I have discussed this, but for the rest of the, for the rest of the huge crowd listening to this, um, you know, Clive's feeling of that first tournament with USF and UNLV was uh, this is the most important games the school's ever played. So Notre Dame was a huge game, right? Mm -hmm. But I think he knew that he had something. Um, You know, he had a very talented group. And I think in his mind, I don't know how people are going to score against us. I, I, I truly feel that in his brain, the way he thought, because he'd always think of everybody plays defense first and defense builds your offense, right? You, you know, if you don't let them do anything and you can win the ball and close down and you go right at them, we were good enough now in his brain that, oh, we're going to score goals. I don't know how other teams are going to score against us because, and again, I keep bringing up my my dad, but my dad, you know, if he was going to rank the top two greatest center back pairs of all time, it's Wade Weber and Ian McLean. They were six three, six four, but could run, won everything, were the two toughest guys that you'd ever want to meet, and could play. Like you know, I don't know how big Wade's feet are, but they're basically pillow top feathers of how he could play he was smooth ian could play as well but he was just he won everything billy like if there was a punt i would start i mean i i didn't start every game but like if i was in the field i would start running knowing they were going to win a heaven like you did there was no question mm-hmm. that they were winning anything in the air you weren't scoring on a corner kick so just take that out of the game you're never going to give up a, a corner goal. You weren't going to give up a free kick goal. If it was in the air and Casey called it, he was catching it, not punching it. He was catching it. And as soon as he caught it, you could start running 
because he was going to run and drop kick a little fader into the corner for you to run onto. So as soon as somebody crossed it or shot it, you could start running forward because he was going to catch the ball and then find you. Unprecedented. And you talk about Sorry, you talk you talk earlier in hyperbole. I'm not speaking in hyperbole either. This happened. (laughs) And that's huge for a team's success because earlier you talked about, you know, how if you're going to be successful, you're going to need other people. And everybody's going to have to do their jobs. And knowing what level they can do their jobs at makes it easier for you up front. it was it was the most incredible group of guys because everybody had to play that year. There was injuries, you know, uh, starting lineups weren't consistent. And you say, how do you go 21 and 0? Oh, well, you had a consistent lineup. We didn't have injuries. Not true. We had injuries. You know, guys had bad ankles. You know, um, guys were out multiple games in a row. You know, freshmen like me, who for most of the season, you know, I played every game that year. But I didn't start. I, I didn't start until the end of the year because people got hurt, and I wasn't even playing for. I wasn't playing striker most of the time. The strikers were uh, Benny and Rob Bartz or Tony Elrod, and sometimes Benny Scott would drop back in the midfield, um, and then uh, Tony and Rob would play up front. But and um, but we had guys come off the bench, and and we contributed. You know that year. Um, you know, we had four guys score six or more goals. You know, Robbie Robbie had 12. I think Scott scored seven. I scored six. And then Mark Bjorklund, another local product out of Beaverton, he scored six. So it was, it, it was even, you know, it was spread about the team. And by the end of the year, so when we got to the NCAA playoffs, which we could go back and talk about, we were starting freshmen. I was starting. You know, Tony Elrod was starting. Sammy Singer was starting. Later on, John Ballou had to start in the NCAA playoffs. Then you had Casey in goal. So you're talking 18 guys minimum that contributed immensely to that 21 and up. It, it wasn't just the start, you know, the starting lineup was super strong and they, you know, thank God they stayed healthy. Now everybody suffered some injuries off and on during that year and everybody had to play and everybody had to contribute and everybody had to be on the same page. So that, that goes also, if anyone's, you know, younger players are playing right now, listening to this, if you're not one through 11 on the roster on the game day sheet, even you've, you've got a job to do. If you, you can contribute to your team's success, if you're prepared and if you're on the same page, as you said, and you're willing to, you know, take on your role to the best of your ability. Yeah, it's just, I mean, we'll, we'll get to it, but I mean, I'll just say this now and maybe it'll spur on another question for you, but the final four, you know, when we get there, we started five, we started five freshmen because guys got hurt and uh, Wade was suspended. I mean, it's like, if you, if you roll back the clock, our full lineup, Forget about it. Game's over. We score that a game ends up four nothing. Yeah, with so, the full lineup. Yeah. I mean, if it was the full lineup, and let's say I'm coming off the bench or something, 
you know, and, and Mark Bjorklund's coming off the bench or bringing Jason Russ in or Robbie Sakamoto comes in, you know, and it was just switching things up and being able to throw more guys at them. Forget about it. No chance. Those, those teams in that final four wouldn't have touched us. And I want to talk about the final four because a lot of people who know the University of Portland now and even in the last decade or more would look at that and think like oh, Merlot Field, look at the Clive Charles Soccer Complex, like it's so beautiful. But you were playing on Philbrook Field, I think was the name, right? Yeah, Philbrook. And, and here's the thing that people don't know about that. I think a lot of people in 1988, the NCAA Final Four was at the highest seed left, which was the University of Portland. So the University of Portland yep. was supposed to host the Final Four. Now, you can't tell me a team that's 21-0-0 hosting the Final Four, especially geographically making some teams travel. Things are looking good. But the problem is you can't host the Final Four because Philbrook Field, you can't walk on it. You'd lose people. Exactly. It's like It was at the state of walking across if you had wellies on, rain boots or whatever, it'd get stuck. Yeah, and you'd lose the shoe. So yeah. the thing is, though, because of that, right, the first thing after that Final Four, what happens? Yeah, they pick a, a neutral site. Yeah. And, and also it, from the Portland it, perspective, Clive's like, we need a field. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and the, for those that maybe not know, you know, the, the next biggest game in history was playing UCLA there at home. Mm -hmm. And that team – full of national team players. And uh, that was the first time I met Kobe, Kobe Jones. Kobe Jones played for them, but he was a freshman just like me, you know, just making our way. And, but they had multiple national team, youth national team players on that, on that team. And on their coming to town, no chance that, that again, this is where we run up against somebody that's okay. You know, Cinderella story's over. Yeah. we we dominated them. Mm. You know, we, we took it to them. We went right at them. Uh, Trent and Ian, you know, two toughest guys I think I've ever known, uh, scored, scored the goals. Um, you know, I'm covered in mud. Everybody's covered in mud. We wore all white. <laughs> they wore their baby blues. We wore all white classic umbros. And, uh, you know, it, it looked like we were in a you know mud fight by the end of that game. And that was it field was destroyed we had to go on the road for the next game against fresno state which uh, unfortunately doesn't even have a soccer program anymore but was a powerhouse uh one of the top soccer programs on the west coast um but uh, that was that was it that was our only home game you know unfortunately but that led to joe etzel walking in and says we're building the stadium you know he, he had a soccer we had a meeting either I, I can't really remember exactly you might be able to know whether it was before we went to indiana or after or that spring is just like, we're building a stadium. We're getting it done. And so, uh, I mean, you can talk quickly about Abby if you want about the final four, what happened. You went to the final four, you're playing the then favorite, then eventual champion in the first game, right? Yeah. So we play Indiana, you know, and I know, uh, I think, I think Bill talked about it um, pretty well. And, you know, Bill never thinks a goal, a ball should go in the net ever. But uh, <laughs> that's Bill uh, Irwin, Irwin for people who may not know. Yeah. Yeah. Big. Um, but uh, we, we played well. You know, I just it was really cold. It was in the 30s. Um, field was hard. 
and, you know, they got a good bounce, you know, hit Sammy in the thigh on a shot, went to one of their guys, and the guy put it one millimeter inside the far post on Casey from like 12 or 14 yards out. And, and you know, that team had a lot of really good players too. That team had pros on it. Had, uh, uh, was this, uh, Ken Snow, who was mm-hmm. an All-American. Um, I want to say Jurgen Summer, who played in the Premier League, was, I think, their goalkeeper. Um, they, they were a good team, no doubt. But knowing what I know of how good the guys we had, uh, there's no way that they stay with us. You know, Bardo was our best, you know, top scorer. He had that car accident that I think you've you've covered before um, <clears throat> going into that the playoffs. So he wasn't he wasn't 100 percent. Those you kneecaps know, wasn't where it should be. Yeah. You know, yeah. that even Canadian that I don't know how they're they're made up, but I'm pretty sure that that would affect them. Um, you know, Wade, Wade, unfortunately, got a second yellow against Fresno State. And back then you get two yellows, which is ridiculous in different games. You sit out the next game. And, you know, there's no no chance that, that we lose that game, let alone the next game. Because the next game was Howard, uh, which also had a bunch of pros on it. Um, and, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that we, we would have taken care of business. But, I mean, it was a tremendous experience. We were idiots. We were thinking, okay, well, this is one of the next three Final Fours we'll play in. And, you know, we thought, oh, this is a piece of cake. We'll get here every year. Um, but, uh, you know, I wish we could have slapped each other in the face going back in time. But, you know, it, it was a tremendous experience for sure. By the way, uh, just for context, in that 21-0 year, which I have to say this because it goes back to what I said when Clive Sauce against, you know, going into USF, we gave up seven goals before that game in 21 games. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> So that's a it's, point it's, three it's three, right? Goals against. Yeah, Casey. Like I said, I, I don't think people understand. Not that they may know Casey's name anymore, besides when we bring it up or you bring it up on these old podcasts, and you know, talking about the past or whatever, which is a shame. Because I, you know, I played against a lot of the best goalkeepers in in U.S. history. Um, in that time period. And I feel like it can, I have a pretty good scale. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anybody catch a ball as much as him. It wasn't just making saves. He caught the ball. He caught the ball, got up, and then distributed the ball quickly. You know, you have the modern-day goalkeepers of using their feet and, and um, you know, being an 11th field player, and which is all fine and good. Casey would have learned that if he was trained to do that at the beginning. And, and you know, he, he retired – right when that was starting to come in. But, you know, Biggin talked about it, I think, on his podcast. It's like, your job is to stop the ball. <laughs> Don't let the ball go in the net. And I, I, you could put any of the other all-timers to me, and I'll say, yeah, they were good. Or like Tim Howard, he was good. Couldn't touch him. No chance. Couldn't touch you know, him. I'm not saying this to, to poke fun at all, but as a kid watching those games, um, cause I was a few years younger, I'm five years younger than you, but oh. I grew up in the neighborhood and you know, the year before that you'd, you'd have to almost like drive by when a game's happening to know a game was happening. And then that year 
it just happened. They, there were stands erected. People, yeah. you, could get, <laughs> you could get like three yards from the field all the way around it because they had to oh, accommodate yeah. people. And all there was was a little rope. And so we'd always sit at the end of by, um, by a goal. And so we get half of the game. We get Casey Keller there. And he, you just watch him. I think I missed some of the game because he's just so impressive, just like you're saying. And he, nobody came near him because they knew if they did, it was bad news. No, yeah, it, you know, that's, no, no player came near him. I should say. Uh, I mean, he and I, we, we we'd go at it quite a bit, and um, you know, we were roommates quite a bit on the road, and him and my was it my junior, maybe my sophomore year. I was like the oldest person to ever not get a bed. I think when we traveled, because Trent and Casey wouldn't let me sleep in the bed, so we always got a cot. So I slept in the cot, um, but that was fine because Trent was huge. But um, you know, so we'd go at it, and geez, man, one day I was just ripping the ball past him, and <laughs> he had enough, and he started chasing me. But uh, he did not like giving up anything. Anytime the ball went in at practice, you got lucky somehow. <laughs> he did not like anything getting past him. I hope he's listening to this. Uh, <laughs> right. So let's talk. Uh, I want to talk afterward because, uh, well, not not just after, but part, partially during your college career. Um, you know, we're talking about the larger picture. There's this hole between, like we've said, 1982 NASL Timbers, 19, I'm sorry, 2001 Portland Timbers again. So that's over a decade. But there wasn't no soccer, but it was just different between 1985 and 1990. Before we talk about your time with the Blackhawks, can you talk about FC Portland uh, slash Portland Timbers and those sort of regional amateur slash professional teams that kept soccer going during that time? Yeah, and no, no problem. Um, again, I think uh, for me, especially with the Timbers and, and and where they are now, which is you know fantastic to have, to have such a you know marquee program in the city. Back then. Uh, Clive looked at the landscape and it wasn't good enough that he just coached at a high school or he coached at, uh, you know, cause he was at Reynolds high school. Talk, talk about a boon <laughs> for that school. Right. But John Bain got, was at Park Rose, Jim Tercy at Gresham. I mean, it's just like, come on. Everywhere. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, that wasn't good enough for him he saw a void and he saw what he wanted to do. He saw the possibilities and uh, we're going to go way back from these city youth programs. That's what existed. My freshman year in high school. So 1984, 85, I, you know, I was Gladstone didn't have anything past that. So I had to go to Rockwood and played with Tony Elrod out in, you know, so Rockwood soccer, that's basically, you know, Gresham area kids. And it was Rockwood and not Gresham because that's where this decent coach was, a guy named Joe Bala. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom found out yeah. that, uh, oh, hey, this coach is really good. This is a good team. It's out in Rockwood, you know. And so that's where I played. Well, Clive could see the future. You know, there's certain visionaries that you run into in your lifetime. And he could see where soccer was going. He knew what the possibilities were. And so he developed a plan. And he said, I'm going to build my own, call it West Ham, whatever. I'm going to build my own club. I'm going to take the best players from Portland, which is not that really big of a city. And I'm going to put them together 
we're going to train them and we're going to, we're, we're going to develop the best players we can from this group in this city. While he was doing that, he and Bernie and a benefactor uh, named Art Dixon yeah. started to put together, okay, well, we got, we're working on the youth team, but we, wanted, we want the first team. We wouldn't want a first team. Those guys were the college guys. And they were made up of guys that, that you know from Pacific University, Warner Pacific University, University of Portland, and whatever else was around. And that became FC Portland. They called them the FC Portland Challenge Team. You know, guys like Greg Moss from UP was, was played on it. Brent Goulet, just by the way, U.S. national team, national player, team player that went to Warner Pacific. Right. You know, which, which he was complete. He's completely lost in the Portland history landscape. And we were recruited from the Vancouver area, the Beaverton area, little old Gladstone area, you know, the Gresham area. And we trained together. We trained next to and with the older guys, the, those older guys. And you're talking about this black hole of a gap. Now we were in the 85, 86 now of this FC Portland challenge team basically playing in what was called the Western Soccer Alliance against teams from California. You had the Seattle group, you know, the Seattle team that was made up of guys from UW, Seattle Pacific, um, maybe not as much Seattle U at that time, but, um, you know, those schools up Western Washington, maybe where guys were being brought in, they were playing up in Seattle and you had a makeshift West coast all the way down to LA and San Diego of a league that was the top division that you could play. So you had college kids and you had non-college people that were out of college, but you know, they were getting their travel paid for and whatever, maybe money under the table, who knows, but um, they ran a league, you know, as best they could in that 86, you know, 87, 88, all the way through until it then evolved into something else. But that was, that was what was there. You know, you had the earthquakes were still around. They were trying to keep going. You know, you had FC Portland, you had the San Diego uh, Nomads, which is still a club team down in San Diego. You had, um, I want to say LA, LA, it wasn't the LA Heat, but um, Los Angeles had a team. California Surf came back as a name. Do you remember that team yeah. from the old NASL? When you're an NASL team. Yep, they came back with a team. Um, so they had something going in place and, you know, that was the first second coming of the Portland Timbers where I think maybe they're around for one or two years. You, you probably Mm -hmm. would know. Um, but in 89 and they put together, uh, that summer, uh, the first comeback of the Portland Timbers, which is basically, uh, after the FC Portland challenge team was a group and that went away. Uh, they brought back the Timbers name mm-hmm. and were able to play back at civic stadium again. It's art Dixon played a huge role in the development of soccer. Absolutely. Just for that you, opportunity. You, you can't um, discuss FC Portland and Portland soccer without art Dixon or um, David Torres. 
And David Torres basically put the money and support in, in to allow my group, our group, those youth players, the, the ability to de develop with Clive. And then later on with Bernie. Uh, when we got got to that 1988 FC Portland Challenge team, and some of and, those were coached um, by Bain because he wasn't a college coach at the time, so he could be around the amateur players. Right, right. So he Johnny Bainey coached that '89 Timbers team. I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. And so, and you had a limit to the number of college kids that you could have from a single college. Um, so I think we had the UP. We had five guys. Um, I, I, I was not on that group, but, uh, I was Sammy. I want to say it was Sammy Garrett, Wade, Trent, or maybe it was six guys, uh, Sammy, Wade, Trent, Casey, and uh, Bardo, I think we're, we're all in that group. It's like five or six guys that, cause you couldn't have more than that. I think it was yeah, NCAA, yeah. right. the whole NCAA rules thing that is always a nightmare, but, um, but yeah, that was the first time that they, they brought it back, you know, with the name and, um, yeah, it was, it was special again, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we talked earlier, so this is important because as I'm doing this right now, Portland is on year 49, right? Coming up on the 50th. But this 2024 season, uh, Vancouver, Seattle, and San Jose Earthquakes are all celebrating their 50th anniversary. And, you know, what we've just talked about, we talk about all of those places coming together in ways like this in a time there wasn't a National League. And I know the same things were going on back east with Clive Toy trying to get some things going, but the two never converged. I can't understate enough, and we said this earlier, the importance of the 1982 San Francisco Blackhawks, or just that whole, the people who kept the earthquakes slash Blackhawks alive. And there's a book actually coming out tomorrow, we're recording this on Sunday, uh, Gary Singh's book, The Unforgettable San Jose Earthquakes comes out tomorrow and he chronologically he uh he presents the years chronologically right from their all of their franchise and when he's in that period um it's just amazing how important that was to what we have right oh, now absolutely. absolutely and can you talk about that a little bit and also talk about that in playing in the CONCACAF Champions Cup oh yeah so this is <laughs> you know when you when you play these sports and everything and you, you watch sports movies and it's like I literally lived a sports movie, you know, uh, I, uh, finished up at UP, you know, and I, I, uh, fortunately ended up graduating. Yay. <laughs> um, but, uh, our last NCAA tournament, we played, uh, Florida international who was favored in the game. Cause we had a lot of injuries. I mean, you know, a lot of guys from that, from those years you're very close friends with like you know jimmy clark and jeff betts and sager and roger and roger gantz and um and we played them at home a messy day well it so happens that there was a uh, somebody from the colorado foxes which is another name right. from pretty the rapids a a apsl days yeah. huge franchise as far as keeping soccer going that uh, can't be understated and Clive got them to come watch the game. Well, we won the game. We won it in overtime. And, you know, you have your exit interviews, whatever. We ended up losing to UCLA on the road that year against a team that probably would have beat, I don't know, 
most of the MLS teams <laughs> right now. <laughs> That's how good they were. Um, and because again, like I said, all good players still played in college then. Um, and, and, uh, so we lost to them on the road. We have a ton of injuries that year, whatever. So, uh, exit interview with Clive. He's like, yeah, you know, we, the guy from the Foxes came he said, you know, you didn't have, <laughs> didn't have your best game that game. I go, yeah, you know, by the way, I did break the school and season and career record for assists in that game, but I didn't quite have the best game maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Clive never shied away from, you know, giving me the straight scoop. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, but he, he was helping me. He was reaching out to a couple other people. So come spring, uh, spring breaks coming up and Clive calls me in the office and, uh, cause you can really do that much in spring anymore at that time like you had like six weeks and now it's a little more liberal but uh so Clive called me in to the office and he says hey I have a friend down in San Jose with the San Francisco Bay Blackhawks and I'm like whoa that's cool because that was like the marquee team yeah you know you had people couldn't go look up guys that played for the Blackhawks but you had uh Eric Winalda played there John Doyle played there Troy Diaz. Uh, uh, Dayak played there. Mark Semioli, Mark uh, Troy Dayak actually signed what was kind of ridiculous right out of high school. Well, actually, he played at USF, but he left USF early and signed like a five-year, six-figure deal with the Blackhawks yeah. to play for them. And Troy was still eligible to play uh, for the Olympic team as well. And uh, I was like, "Well, that's cool." And so he he said, "Yeah, you need to get down there here." And his name is uh, David Gold. And so I'm just like, okay, great. <laughs> so I had to go, though, a week before spring break. So I'm, I'm a bio major. So some of the classes when you're a bio major aren't easy. <laughs> right, especially at that level, so, fourth year. Yeah. So luckily, <laughs> I had, you know, my schedule, I had taken a lot of my classes, uh, you know, the harder lab classes already. So this is last semester, senior year. So, you know, I had a couple of the old, you know, philosophy classes and, um, but I had a couple difficult ones like, you know, physics. So (laughs) I have to leave a week before spring break. Then I get spring break. So I got a good solid two weeks down there. So fly down there. Uh, David picks me up, takes me to a hotel and he says, Hey, yeah, you're going to stay here. We got training here in the morning. I'll come pick you up. Great. So going to San Jose uh, state, we trained, um, on the practice fields next to San Jose state Spartan stadium, right, right in the, what probably is now a parking lot, but, um, you know, the fields were decent. It was great. Uh, locker room was nice. Everybody's really nice. I knew some of the guys from Santa Clara. So that was really cool. You know, guys like uh, Paul Holliker, Paul Bravo, Jeff Beicher. These are, these are like Santa Clara hall of famers, you know, by the way. And uh, so it was awesome seeing familiar faces. So I'm thinking, Oh, great. They're like thrilled that I'm there, you know, whatever. Uh, Coach comes in, which is another, you know, NASL veteran played in San Jose um, a guy named Lori Calloway. 
Right. Now, to say Lori Calloway was bristly would be understated. Yeah. <laughs> um, could probably swear for his country of England and win <laughs> a contest. And he walks in and assistant coach Paul Mariner. So Paul Mariner, for those that don't know, absolute English legend. Played for Ipswich Town when they won the uh, UEFA, uh, UEFA Cup. So they won a European title at Ipswich Town. He played for Arsenal. He played for England in the 1982 World Cup. And he was in, he was like 40 or 41 or so at that age. He was still, uh, at that time, he was still playing a little bit. He had coached in the APSL, but he came there to be an assistant coach and play a little, kind of end of his career thing. Looked like Tarzan. Center forward that would, you know, kill multiple people to try to score goals. The greatest, nicest guy ever. And most people probably know him from ESPN. And unfortunately, he passed away, I think, a couple of years ago. One of the biggest influences on my soccer career and coaching career as well. They're right up there with Clyde. Well, Laurie walks in. He's like, hi, coach. It's Joey. And he's like, who are you? Huh. <laughs> I'm like, um, yeah, I'm Joey Leonetti. Uh, David Gold had me come in to train. And I played Clive Charles up at University of Portland. He goes, oh, okay. Uh, all right. Well, yeah, we're training. They'll see you out there and whatever. Had no clue I was coming. Jeez. Head coach had no clue <laughs> that I was showing up there. I was like, okay, <laughs> well, this will be interesting. The good thing is, you know, for me, it was like guys there knew me. Hmm. You know, so I, you know, there's guys that played at Stanford there. Mark Semioli uh, came a really close friend there. Um, like I said, the guys from Santa Clara. Also on that team was legend uh, Dominic Kinnear, right. who people know as a coach for the Earthquakes. Dominic was national team. John Doyle, national team. Peter Isaacs, Jamaican national team. Townsend Chin, uh, Chinese national, international. Um, God, I could go on. You know, like this. And this was, was this was your regional professional soccer team at the time, our league. Yes. Well, this is this is a national league now. This is the APSL. So this 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 league had the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, the Tampa Bay Rowdies, uh, Colorado Foxes. Um, God, who else can you remember? Baltimore. Had um, uh, yeah, the Baltimore might have folded, but because uh, a lot of those guys went down to Tampa Bay. Um, so uh, well, Miami, Miami, I think Miami Fusion had a team. Uh, anyway, not important, but. Uh, so I'm like, oh, well, okay, <laughs> I guess we'll go out and play now. <laughs> so, you know, did training and, and started playing and, you know, I was, I, I, I did well, you know, for the sake of argument, yeah, yeah, I did well. And I got along with the guys well. And, you know, he could see that I got on with them well. Uh, it wasn't like I was a disruptive force or something. And I was, you know, it's like, this is where you like go to the Clive Charles school of, how to be a good teammate and you use it, you know, where you, you, you're disciplined, you defend well, you run back, you get back, you make tackles, you work hard for everybody. 
And then, you know, a little bit of the, you know, Joey magic, whatever comes through. And I, I score a couple worldies and uh, in the next couple of days and, you know, Lori calls me in and he talks to me and said, Hey, you don't have to feel like you had to set the world on fire here. You know, just, just keep playing. I was like, yeah, man, I'm just doing what I do. And, you know, Oh, sorry. I forgot to Eric Winalda also right. played for the team. Right. So, you know, <laughs> uh, Oh, Mark Doherty, uh, Fresno state goalkeeper legend played for played in the MLS for Columbus, you know, all MLS goalkeeper as well. You know, this team was unbelievable. Oh, Timmy Martin, you know, another Fresno State legend, uh, played for the MLS uh, for uh, the whole beginning of the MLS. So uh, this was, this was uh, without saying, a, a good team. You know, mm-hmm. Troy Dyack, obviously. Um, and, you know, I fit in. And so we, I'm there for two weeks. I'm training. And they're like, hey, we're going to Mexico. Uh, we want you to come for preseason. And I'm like, well, I've been there for like, I don't know, a week, you know, nine days or whatever. We're taking a break and then we're going to Mexico on Wednesday. Can you go? And I'm like, well, I got school. Right. <laughs> and, um, but you know what? Let me call people. Let me make some calls. <laughs> so, you know, this is like no email everybody there's no cell phones this is like you know dial on the phone right. up <laughs> calling i'm calling clive and like yo they want me to go to mexico can you talk to my teachers for me please <laughs> so clive talks to all my professors or whatever and i'm off to mexico so within the span of seven to ten days i show up the coach doesn't know who the heck i am i got a world cup english legend as an assistant coach i got one of the best agglomerations of american talent ever and i'm like all right i'm heading to mexico with them to guadalajara i'll be back in a week (laughs) and you know we're it's pro pro preseason trip you know and we stayed at um, a club out in the countryside uh, that's been up and down. It's called uh, Universidad de Guadalajara. Everybody calls him Udahe. And um, we stayed on there. I mean, it looked like a resort where people were part of the club would like leave the city of Guadalajara and go live on an agave ranch for like a month or something when they're on vacation. And that's where they were going through their, you know, they had their youth teams out there. They had their first team out there. They had soccer fields everywhere. And we did two a days there. And, um, you know, at this, at this point, I'm just having a grand old time. And it's the greatest shape I've ever been in. Um, you know, got to know these guys, backwards and forwards and teammates because you're living together you're training together you're you know having fun together you know and like i said you know eric when all the you know i you know got reasonably close with him and as well as all, all those guys you know um and uh we played preseason games we played matches against uh you know liga what now they call it liga mx teams mm-hmm. you know we played atlas we played um 
Tacos. And we drove into God knows where. We played some small little club because they hosted us and fed us and you know on a field that was probably harder than the concrete out in the street um i ended up scoring the winner and everybody was like thank god because we didn't want to run tomorrow because <laughs> it was just hard to play um and uh you know we beat i'll tell you this we beat takeos in closed door in their stadium by the time we got on the bus we heard it on the radio that they, that they broadcast that they, they played us and we beat them like, I don't know, it was like 2-1 or something. And uh, it was on the radio. By the time we were on the bus, head, heading back to the ranch. <laughs> just, just incredible. But that was my, that was how that happened. I, I Like I said, it went down there, didn't, didn't know me from Adam. And by the time I was done, I missed this week of school, missed spring break, missed another week of school, flew back. And, uh, you know, before I flew back, sat down with Lori and Callaway and he's like, well, we want to sign you. I was like, great. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> so I signed my first professional contract and then flew back to finish my pre-med degree. <laughs> and then that's that summer you were playing back down. Yep. Yeah. So I, I graduated, uh, unfortunately for that next, um, was it six weeks or so because graduation at UP's first weekend of May, uh, uh, missed, I missed four CONCACAF Champions League games and, you know, they crushed people like they'd be like, like whatever the, the team from Panama, they uh, like killed them. Uh, crushed the team from Belize. And um, then I come, then I flew back in May. I was like two days after graduating, you know, cap and gown and everything, flew back down to uh, San Jose. And like the next day or two, flew to Fort Lauderdale for my first game. Whirlwind, Billy. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually, so, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I, yeah. I, if you want to interrupt your own interview anytime, just let me know. <laughs> no, no. I'm telling you, Joey, people don't listen. They're not listening to this to listen to me. Right. Well, I don't think people want to listen to me either. That's what my friends tell me. But, well, um, I was going to say, some of them, are, if they're still on, they're probably like, did he say play good defense? <laughs> yeah, no. Right now, Big Bill, if he's listening, when he listens, he'll say he must have got a really bad nosebleed when he crossed halfway line running back. No, absolutely. No, I mean, for all the, for all the jokes, but the, you want to survive, you, you have to take everything you learned and, and take it with you and apply it. And you know, that that's obviously we all, we all appreciate learning all that because that's what we all coach now. But um, no, that, that, so that year was a, was a, a tremendous year. Um, we played not only our league games, but we had U.S. Open Cup that we played, and we were, you know, reasonably successful in that. And then we played, uh, you know, the CONCACAF Champions League. And, you know, as far as that goes, we can, you know, go through that a little bit because I sent you that article. I sent you an article of where it ended up. But, mm -hmm. you know, our first games were against, uh, you know, a, a team that's still in Champions League 
uh, quite a bit is Real España from Honduras. And uh, that was my first taste of that um, that summer. And, uh, you know, I started both of those games, which was uh, amazing. We played, uh, they, they couldn't host. <clears throat> so we played both games in the Bay Area. We played one at uh, Kazar Stadium in downtown San Francisco, which is a cool little stadium. And uh, then we played the other one uh, on the campus of Santa Clara, which is where uh, I think the earthquakes, you know, built a stadium and then they built a new one. But for many years, the earthquakes uh, played after Spartan Stadium when their original team, the Clash, then they went to Santa Clara and they played there. Um, we played Real España there as well. So, I mean, we beat them 3-0, 3-0. You know, I scored in both games. Uh, I think I got player of the match in both games. Um, so, you know, needless to say, it was having a having a good run of form. <laughs> and um, this kind of leads to, like I, I you know, let you know, it's like one of the most special games that I got to play in. We hosted uh, uh, Club America in spartan stadium which again full circle of the soccer bowl you know that's where we played our home games for the blackhawks and now i'm playing at spartan stadium you know 15 years later in Concacaf champions league game now with with only somebody that's one of the all-time leading scorers for real madrid hugo sanchez you may have heard of him Mm um striker for mexico um, I think their coach was Tafarel, Brazilian goalkeeper. Um, you know, it's just that team was Mexican champions and, you know, ended up winning that competition as well that year. But I had missed the cup tie game in Mexico City because I was uh, getting married, <laughs> which I got no end of shit for. Excuse my language. That's all right. You're from, the first person the to cousin this. It's fine. <laughs> um, and so I missed, you know, a few weeks. I went back, wedding, honeymoon, came back, got off the plane two days later, playing in this game. And uh, yeah, played up front. Uh, and it was, I would, I would try to say it was a hostile environment at our home field. <laughs> but that might be putting it lightly because yeah. <laughs> club America is, you know, I mean, they're, everybody says the man United or the Yankees of Mexican, Mexican football. So, you know, and they, they, they had an icon playing, you know, it's, it'd be like Messi playing now. Hugo Sanchez was that big. You couldn't get bigger against the biggest team. <laughs> And, you know, first 10 minutes of the game, I think uh, a great player that on that group, his name's Lawrence Lozano. He played national team experience. Yet another guy, you know, beat guy down the wing, whipped in across and beat my guy, diving header, 1-0. I mean, it was, you, you can't replicate that feeling. Getting, you know, the crowd going ballistic, our whole team just losing it. Because now, you know, the cup ties at 2-1 with that goal. You know, now we're in it. You know? Mm-hmm. And 
I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes later, Timmy Martin, you know, hits a 30 yarder far post from left back coming forward, rips one. And now we're up, you know, we're two, two, two nil. It's just unbelievable. Tied up, tied up the cup tie. And uh, now, now it's a ball game, you know, and you try to describe those experiences and it's just, it's difficult, <laughs> yeah. you know, all the, all the big games at UP and uh, that I played and, you know, the guys I played with and against, it's just, that's, you know, I played in some internationals, youth internationals, but that was, uh, you know, unbelievable. And, uh, you know, I, I, you can put a link to the, you know, for folks if they ever want to read something, but, you know, they, uh, Hugo Sanchez, the, you know, pro that he is, you know, sucked in another, sucked us into a penalty and, uh, to, to get them on the board, you know, if we win two nil, it goes into overtime because there's no away goals or anything like that. And obviously it was tight anyway, but he gets a penalty to make it two one. So that puts, that puts him in the position to go through. Well, second half, late in the second half, I get a ball in the right wing, beat my guy, zippity doo down the wing. I whip an across and Townsend Kin header. We're up three, one linesman flag up for the life of me. And if you pass on that article, and I think you read that article, there's no way anybody could have been off sides because I, I curled it backwards, you know? So we, we were, we would have been up three, one force an overtime in that game. And, um, you know, Needless to say, we win the game 2-1, which I put that in my back pocket. I'm undefeated against Club America. So that's that's, that's Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we were that close, that close to, to being able to maybe push through in that game. It was amazing. So I want to get two more in if, you, if you're okay with that. A couple more questions. And we'll, we'll yeah. have to do this again. Oh, we're not going for three hours? I thought we'd keep it going. We could. We just it'd just be the two of us. <laughs> so it might be a two parter. Your first two parter. It may have to be. Uh, so, yeah. Why not? We'll just we'll do another one at some point. But we'll talk right now about. Um, I just want to kind of put some things in context because the the from there you know you had some injuries. You you played two different versions of indoor soccer, professional indoor soccer in Portland, the Pride, and then you were drafted at, uh, for the LA Galaxy. Played for the Seattle Sounders, like we said, you're back in the Concacaf Champions League and what an A-League final MVP the year Seattle they won that, and then another year with the Pythons, that sort of period, and then that was it. How was it bouncing between indoor and outdoor? And you know, I know that was a probably a tougher part of the career because your playing was coming to an end. And then after that, well, I've got one yeah. more. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, uh, I don't know if you, I could bring in a little bit of the internal stuff, or we could do that last. Whatever you want to. Whatever works for you. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, so I have a, a just an up and down battle with with the body, basically. You know, uh, you know, especially then. You know, you starting starting a family with kids, and and you know, you're trying to rehab injuries. You know, every time I was kind of going, you know, something else would happen. So. Uh, you know, my first knee injury was the 93, the year after the Blackhawks did my, you know, first ACL 
you know, playing indoor because we were still waiting at that time for the 94 World Cup. You know, in 92, I played with the U.S. national team based off the Blackhawks, you know, season that I had. I was invited to play with Coach Bora Militinovic, um, you know, and did did reasonably well while I was with them. But there still was no, you know, real league yet. And there weren't a lot of opportunities. And, you know, this story isn't specific to me. This is a whole generation of players that were trying to get through this period of time, you know, and you did what you had to do. Portland, you know, came with the indoor team. I was like, well, I'll, I'll do this. And, you know, I ended up getting injured. And uh, for the next two years, 94, 95, you know, being able to play with your friends, you know, a lot of Portland UP guys, you know, we got to play together, extend our careers, you know, playing professionally indoor. We had great times. It was fun. The city loved it. It really backed it. You know, they were starving for it. You know, soccer in some way, I think, you know, over and above just the fall season of UP. So uh, it was great times. You know, we got to play in some really famous venues, got to play against a lot of good players, a lot of guys that were just like us, you know, probably really wanting to play outside, <laughs> playing in an outdoor league that not yet existed. You know, U.S. soccer kept saying, oh, it's going to start this year. It's going to start this year. There's, It was supposed to be started in 93, then 94. It didn't start till 96. And, you know, I, I thankfully, you know, Bainey, John Bain, you know, and the folks with the Portland Pride, you know, ran a, 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 a tremendous program for those years that allowed players like me to keep playing. And, uh, you know, come 96, the league was, the league was going. They invited me to the combine for MLS. And, uh, you know, I had a good resume with the Blackhawks. I had a good resume with, you know, the U S national team and, uh, went to the combine and, you know, I felt I played, I played well. And, you know, you're drafting a league from scratch, basically. My feeling was I was going to get drafted by the Earthquakes, or at that time it was called the San Jose Clash. Uh-huh. Lori Calloway was the coach. It was all lined up for me to get drafted and go right back and pick up in the old Blackhawk days. That was my 100% expectation and actual hope. Well, didn't work out that way. I got drafted probably maybe earlier than maybe Lori thought. That's just my opinion. No, no inside information on that. I got drafted as the 10th pick by the LA galaxy. Now the LA galaxy coach was somebody I'd had before as well. Uh, coach Lothar Osiander was the U S Olympic team coach in 1992 for Barcelona, a team that, you know, I played, that was the team I was playing with when we went to France and Toulon and, and we played all the, you know, different tournaments and U.S. Olympic Festival and all that kind of stuff. That was the group I played with. All those guys were my, you know, compatriots and friends. And um, funny enough that post-Olympics, I met all of those guys in their first national team experience after the Olympics. Like I got to the national team before them or at the same time as them 
but I went around the Olympic team because I, I wasn't selected. And, but he knew me. He knew me well. He knew what I was about. The problem was with the Galaxy, it was a marquee team in a marquee city that had a definite plan of how and who they were going to sign and draft. And uh, my salary at the time, because basically what they did at that time, and probably, people probably don't know this, and they still do this, you sign with the league. You don't sign with a particular team. And so you were already signed to a contract of what you were going to be paid, regardless of what team took you. So at my point of my life at that time, I was like, I can't move cities and get paid X amount of dollars. That wasn't going to work. So I was like, I got to get paid a little bit more if I'm, if this is going to work for me. And that wasn't a ton of money, especially back then. But, uh, so I was a little bit higher in the scale salary scale. If you're just going to drop down cross-reference menu kind of situation. So, you know, I was drafted by LA and I was a little bit more expensive than some of the other guys that they felt that they could live with. And I ended up, you know, going down there, had a great camp. We played with some great players, uh, Mauricio Cienfuegos, you know, legend uh, for El Salvador, a tremendous player. You know, Kobe Jones, met up with Kobe Jones again from our, you know, national team days. And um, so that was nice to be able to play with him. Mark Semioli from the Blackhawks got drafted by them. So I had somebody familiar there. Anyway, I was having a great time. But by the time of the you know month-long training camp or whatever it was, I didn't fit into the pay structure for them. They could they could get by, not get by, they were still good players. They they signed and kept guys that cost less, you know. Kind of a Dollars smart move when you're starting a league that you know. Yeah. You know, and it's like, could I play with him? Absolutely. You know, if it was, a, if that was not a factor, I would have stayed there. I'm, I'm sure I would have stayed there. But, you know, it didn't happen. I had a great time, you know, and when I came back, I was like, gosh, I don't, I don't know if I want to play another season of indoor right now, you know? So I reached out to uh, former friends of teammates. Uh, up at the Sounders, I'm like, you know, can I, you guys have a spot? Can I come up and you know maybe have a trial and, and play a little bit? And you know, at least this time the coach knew I was coming, yeah, right. which was good. <laughs> so, you know, uh, head coach was Neil Megson. Um, he played in the you know I think played back the in the Tacoma Stars. Yeah, obviously played with the Pride. Played the Tacoma Stars. Was coaching the Sounders. And, you know, went up there and just, again, fit in. You had Wade was up there. Dick McCormick was up there who went to Warner Pacific. Um, you had guys I played against uh, uh, that were at Seattle Pacific. You know, legendary goalkeeper Marcus Hahnemann. Uh, you had James Dunn and Jason Dunn. You had an MLS star and Jason Farrell who was playing there at the Sounders as well. Chance Fry who, you know, Northwesterners know Chance Fry's name, you know, from back in the days, one of the great goal scorers. He also played a year down at the Blackhawks. And so it was familiar, I think, because it was, you know, really important for me is like I knew those guys. I, I was familiar with the, you know, their approach. And um, 
And, you know, I fit in and, you know, had a lot of great games up there. Scored a lot, scored a, a great number of goals, you know, won some games. Um, and, uh, you know, we went into the playoffs thinking we could beat anybody, you know, is pretty even league. You had team in Rochester, you had the Colorado Foxes still. And, um, you know, we felt, uh, that if we get in this, that, that we got a great shot, you know, those guys were nothing but confident. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, those Seattle guys felt that, you know, they could beat anybody at any time if you just played our game and, and did, did what we had to do. And, you know, that was a, you know, near, you know, sold out crowd up in Seattle at Memorial stadium, you know, I don't know, maybe 10, 12,000 people, but sounded louder, you know, it was nationally televised, which was pretty cool. And, uh, that year, um, the team that we played, which was Rochester, they ended up, I think I'm pretty sure you could go back and double check me, but it makes my story sound better. Um, I believe they won. Okay. I believe they won the U S open. So I think they either played in the final or won the U S open cup. So they weren't, you know, too shabby themselves. And, uh, yeah. So put myself in good positions and ended up scoring two goals in the second half and, you know, winning the, winning the championship, which was fantastic. Oh, which, by the way, I have my, I, I got this for you too, right there. There it is. The ring. That's the ring. <laughs> yeah that's great that's in the office here so (laughs) if it uh yeah they they finished okay so they were runners up that year to dc united there you go yeah in the open cup united won the first three mls cups right so um you know it's not a bad team either not a bad team either so first year of first year mls you know you still had a lot of really good players in in the uh a league apsl precursor to usl Mm -hmm. For those of you that didn't don't know, um, you had a lot of uh, internationals from CONCACAF that played in that league. For instance, the uh, Colorado team, I want to say maybe had three or four Jamaican internationals on it that were legit and ended up also then going into MLS over the next couple of years. So it was just one of those times where U.S. soccer was finding its feet. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, I was really, really proud that I was able to be a part of that. You know, I ended up, you know, getting injured again the next year, um, again with my other ACL. And after that, it was just kind of having fun playing for the Pythons where I met one Billy Merck. Tell you what, um, that's what I was waiting for you to get to. Yeah, it was the most important <laughs> time of my life there. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, it was, uh, you know, those seven years, you know, 90, 92 to 98 or so seven season or whatever it works out to be to 99. Um, you know, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of ebbs and flows. And, you know, it was, but the experience that I was able to have, you know, with the, with the full national team, you know, 92 going to Saudi Arabia, being able to play, um, train there for a month, you know, got to meet, you know, the Argentinian national team players. Cause we all stayed in the same place. Um, them, the Ivory Coast, and us were all in the same hotel. So we ate every day together. And, you know, for those that want to look up that team, that's Batistuta, that's Claudio Canigia, um, Diego Simeone, uh, among others, um, you know, in that group, you know, that, that were 
they, they ended up winning it, obviously. Um, and then going to Monaco and meeting Prince Albert of Monaco, you know, not, not shabby. Um, uh, staying in, in the hotels in the middle of, of Monaco is not a bad way to go for those of you out there. Um, and I'll, I'll let you know what, I, what kind of idiot I am. So if people, uh, again, I'll keep saying this, but, you know, Prince Albert uh, played around a little bit with bobsledding, if you remember. Uh, yeah, yeah, because he wanted to be in the Olympics. So he, he drove a bobsled in the Olympics. So I knew like he liked to ski. So I'm an idiot. I'm like, we had lunch with him and took pictures with him and all that. And uh, so I'm like, yeah, you know, Mount Hood, you got to come out. Let me know when you get out here. <laughs> and maybe we'll go, go skiing or something. <laughs> it's just like, you idiot. <laughs> it's, it's hospitality. I tell you what, though. Right? People give me black for having soft hands because I never do a, a day's work. The guy had the softest hands I've ever felt in my life. Shocking that a prince of Monaco would have soft hands. Right. Softest hands I've ever felt. <laughs> Joey, that I, I want to say thank you, and I, we should do this again. Uh, I think what's, what, what's really cool about your story is that you are the generation that came from the NASL and got us to Major League Soccer, right? Which is... I mean, your story is is one of, you know, soccer in this country during that period specifically. And so I appreciate you sharing all these stories with us. Of course, it's great to catch up as well and, and see you. Oh, absolutely, Billy. I really appreciate you reaching out. And um, yeah, I mean, there's just so much to talk about and a lot of good times. And, um, you know, all our mutual friends, you know, there's there's a lot more that could be said or maybe not should be said <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> about those days. But you know, we all have uh, great stories from from um, from Clive and from those guys that that, like like you said, bridge the gap. You know, and we weren't we weren't the only ones. There's people all over the country that had to figure out something to do and how to keep it going. And uh, you know, I'm just uh, you know whatever piece I played, and you know, I, I tried to go out there and entertain people and disrupt people, make people angry, make people happy. And, you know, I think that uh, I'm just happy some some folks out there still remember uh, watching me play a little bit. Absolutely. Well, Joey, thanks again. All right, Billy. Hey, thank you. You ain't got to be 200 pounds or a giant at 7-3 to play this game called soccer, which is growing rapidly. You can hear it on the radio, you will see it on TV. But when the Portland boys appear, you will hear them sing with glee. Green is the colour, soccer is the game. We're the Portland Timbers, and winning is our aim. So let's keep all of the boys, let's cheer for the Portland Timbers.